How should we pray together as a local church? So from the first Christians on, praying together is a pattern in the New Testament. It's what Christians do. The first Christians met to pray. Look at Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. One of the results of God's pouring out His Spirit on His people at Pentecost was the people meeting together to spend time in prayer. And yet so many circumstances of the prayers in the New Testament vary. Sometimes they pray inside, sometimes they pray outside. They pray at various hours of the day and night. Sometimes, like Shai was telling us, they pray with singing. You know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes with fasting, sometimes kneeling, sometimes with eyes uplifted or our hands uplifted, or laying hands on somebody else. They pray together. I think this great variety seems to illustrate the biblical command for us to pray without ceasing that Danny mentioned yesterday. I think the fact that it shows so many different circumstances are just underlining what the Holy Spirit led Paul to instruct us in there. I think the practice of prayer in a local church can vary from church to church. And I don't think the differences need to be problems. They can be wonderful reflections of the unique aspects of different congregations, individual characters. So I think we can learn from each other. We don't ever need to feel judged by each other. We can be inspired and encouraged by this way or that way. We've seen saints pray together at this other church, and we can learn from it and then try to do something that we would think would be similar or answering the same point in our congregation. But it may not be exactly the same. But some statements we can make about what should be the case in the prayer life of every church. So for our time together in this first session this morning, I want to make a number of those statements, particularly nine of them. I just try to serve you however I can. I want to try to draw your attention to what I've tried to lead our congregation in Washington to do uh, in prayer and why I've done that. So first, our public prayer life together as a church should be an outgrowth of our personal prayers in private while we're apart. Our public prayer life together as a church should be an outgrowth of our personal prayers in private while we're apart. Again, like Danny led us to think of yesterday from 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we want to pray without ceasing, and that certainly at least should encourage us to, to daily set aside time specifically for us to pray as individuals. And all the basic aspects of prayer should be in our personal prayer time, praising God, like we were thinking about, especially in Shai's message, thanking him for what he's done, confessing who we are and what we've done, asking for ourselves and for others. Sometimes people remember the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. If you've never heard that, there that is. ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Now, a couple of things you can do to integrate your prayer life into that of the whole congregation is with what you pray about, and who you pray for. 
So on what you pray about, you could consider studying in your personal times the passage of Scripture that's going to be preached on this coming Lord's Day at your church. So at our church, Bobby Jameson, Lord willing, tomorrow is preaching from nine verses in John 16. So among other things, I've been reading every morning in my quiet time those nine verses in John 16. I've been meditating on those, and I've been praying for other people. Like I was praying for John this morning, I prayed for him out of those verses. So I try to find what the Lord is teaching in those verses. I pray for myself, my family, others, members, but I do it out of that part of Scripture especially. So let your requests to God for your friends be shaped by the passage of Scripture, and that can actually help you pray for people you don't know very well personally because you're informed by the Bible about what you can pray for. It also works to prepare your heart for the message to come from that part of God's Word. That's what you pray for. Who you pray for, consider praying through your church's membership directory. I trust some of you have something like this. You know, I I always say this. Here is my most important book, my Bible. Here is my second most important book, my membership directory. You know, these are all the members of our church. You know, there, there they are. Pictures, address, you know, way to get in touch with them. And it reminds me to pray for them. It's a great prayer list. So we go to a good bit of trouble just to have a directory just for our members that tells us who all the members are. There's a special section in the back, like one for former interns and staff, uh, to tell us where they are now. So you guys got to keep us updated. You know, if Kendall Baptist Church ends up migrating to Orlando at some point, you need to let us know that. Um, We have a section for all the children of the members of the church, our dear Presbyterian brethren. We don't eat children. We love children. I know we don't baptize them. I've been asked that more than once in Russia if Baptists eat their children. Because, you know, in, 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 Greek, in Russian Orthodox theology, it's, uh, baptism of infants is assumed to be salvific. And so since we don't baptize infants, we must hate them. You know, like, no, we actually love our children. We actually pray for them. So we pray for the children in our congregation. We pray for our supported workers. There are other sections that are great to pray through regularly um, that have to do with other subsets. And because our directory has around 60 pages, it can easily be prayed through monthly just by praying through two pages each day. And so that's what I've done myself. I've tried to encourage others to do it for years now. So if we love one another as we're commanded to do uh, and we've covenanted to do as members, surely that will include that we pray for each other. So you might want to think about that in your church. All of this is to say that our public prayer life in our churches should grow out of our individual prayer lives. That's my first statement. Second statement. Some of our church's practices will vary over time. Some of our church's practices will vary over time. So, for example, I know there used to be a woman's prayer meeting on Saturday morning at our church. I don't know if that's still going on. Uh, One newer prayer meeting is for the conversion of international students, meeting sometimes on Sunday afternoons. Another prayer meeting I just found out about last week was when one brother emailed out, he wants to start a prayer meeting every Friday morning just for two months between our last members meeting and our next one for members that we have mentioned in our members meeting who are in special trouble spiritually. So he just wants to call the saints together to pray for those particular individuals uh, every Friday morning before work. Our church's prayer meeting used to be on Wednesday night. Now it's on Sunday nights. At times in the life of our church or our nation, we've had special meetings for extra prayer, like when we set aside our first set of elders 20 years ago or after our nation was attacked in 2001. The enduring fact is that we give ourselves in biblical prayers to God for His work 
in our local church, but also around the world. And there is great liberty about how we organize that in our local churches. So the second statement, some of our church's practices will vary over time, and that's just fine. If somebody comes to you and says, oh, the Tuesday night prayer meeting is dying, friends, that may be absolutely fine. It may be Bill and Sarah who hosted that prayer meeting for 20 years, moved to Omaha, and there's just nobody who wants to host it, and there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. So don't idolize things that aren't commanded in Scripture. Just pray and trust the Lord to raise up something. You know, or you, if you have a burden for it, you lead in, in, in raising up something to call the saints to prayer. Third statement. Some specific words can be especially helpful in leading a church well in prayer. Let me just mention a couple of these words. First, the word we. That plural in the prayers that we offer aloud around each other is exampled for us in Jesus' prayer that Jono talked to us from yesterday. What what is the Lord's prayer? Our Father. It's, It's in the plural. So friends, when when you or I lead in prayer publicly, we need to remember that we're not just having our own personal devotionals out in public with others listening in, but rather you or I are having the opportunity to lead the whole group of people there into the presence of our Heavenly Father. So it's like the Lord's here, and if my mouth is moving and you're mainly listening, if I'm articulating prayer for us and I'm going like this, it's just inappropriate for me to say I. It's just weird. I should say, we, because I'm praying not just for myself, I'm praying on behalf of all of us. If you're listening to the prayer, I'm praying for us in the presence of the Heavenly Father. I'm not saying you should never use the word I, but it should be comparatively rare. Almost always we would refer to we and our exactly because we mean to be speaking to God, not simply for matters which concern me alone, but for matters which concern us as a whole. So we pray for our joy, not my joy. We pray for our work, not my work. We find matters of common concern and interest, and we all go to God together in prayer with one person leading us by voicing our concerns on behalf of all of us. So that's one word that's very helpful, we. If we is kind of the hand that the one leading in prayer uses to those he's leading in the congregation, The congregation verbally takes the leader's hand, as it were, by use of the second word I want to point out, amen, or amen. I don't think we know how it was originally pronounced. I think the closest we can guess is amen, that nobody says. So don't feel superior when you say amen or amen. I think you're both wrong. (laughs) But I think the Lord knows what we mean, and I think that's the point of language. So at the conclusion of the prayer, at least... Perhaps at various points during the prayer, amen is Hebrew for this is true or I agree. And this is where we, the ones who aren't the ones mainly speaking, get to verbally own to all those who can hear us that this prayer is not simply the prayer of the one who verbalized it, but it is our prayer too. So we say amen to it, that we agree with what has been prayed and we publicly accept and affirm this as representing us to God. I I don't think U.S. Christians are great about this on the whole, uh, from my experience. I do find Christians overseas tend to be better about this. Uh, So I remember being in Hong Kong a few years ago at a meeting of pastors, and uh, we were in a room maybe about half this size, we were probably 300 pastors from all over China, 
and uh, one brother would offer a prayer, and uh, as soon as he was done, there would be a thunderous amen, you know, just said quickly, vigorously, loudly by everyone in the room, just thunderously loud, which lets you know they weren't sleeping. It wasn't just somebody else praying. They were all praying, and they all agreed. So let me just get real personal. I've never been to your church probably, but I'll tell you one way it would be better tomorrow. If the people would all and loudly, I don't mean scream, but I mean not whispered, amen. You know, I mean like other people can hear you, amen. After somebody prays and you agree with it. Your church, I'm telling you, I'm making this claim. Your church service would be better tomorrow if you would just change that simple practice. Teach your people to own the prayers that are prayed. So the offer of the plural, we, our, and the acceptance of the prayer by a clear amen, perhaps throughout, but certainly at the end of the prayer, help our church to pray better together as a congregation. Fourth statement, different kinds of public prayers help us in our local churches. Some churches may have long, spontaneous prayers by a pastor or some other member, other churches may have lots of short planned prayers, like in some churches written liturgies. So in our church up in D.C., our longer public prayers tend to be planned, and our shorter public prayers tend to be spontaneous. But I think both kinds of prayers serve our life together well. So our longer planned prayers on Sunday morning services are an opportunity to give careful, sustained, reverent, worshipful, hopeful attention to the attributes of God or His goodnesses to us or to our sins, or to our needs, or to gospel work elsewhere, like among the Lahar uh, that we pray for in India. So in the prayers in the Old Testament prophets, the audience of the prayers often switch back and forth from God to the people hearing or reading the prayer and back again. I don't know how many times I've heard young Christians say, and they mean it well, when somebody criticizes a prayer, well, he wasn't talking to you, was he? He was talking to the Lord. Well, if he's just talking to the Lord, he can shut up. He can do that without moving his lips because I don't need to hear it if that's all he's doing. But if he is talking to the Lord and saying it out loud, he is talking to us too. It is part of what's happening. And you see this in the Old Testament prophets all the time. So when we speak out loud with other people hearing, we are talking to the Lord or we're hypocrites. But we are also talking to other people or else we can close our mouths and do it silently. So friends, we've got to learn that. And it is right and godly to consider both. In public prayer, we have to realize that part of what we're doing when we're opening our mouths in public is teaching others. Otherwise, we wouldn't use a microphone like we do in our church. The congregations would need to listen as they do. Now, some people are surprised at the thought of preparing a prayer ahead of time. They've learned to associate spontaneity with sincerity, and all preparation ahead of time is formalism, maybe even hypocrisy. And I do think those are dangers, but I don't think they're inevitable. So we plan the words to our hymns ahead of time, but that doesn't make our hymns insincere. When we sing Christ is mine forevermore, somebody else has written and thought through those words, but we adopt them as our own. And so we use them, I trust, sincerely. Robert Bailey, in a letter, recounts one of the days of prayer that he had attended during the Westminster Assembly down in London in the 1640s. This is how he describes it. Dr. Twist, having commenced the service with a short prayer, Mr. Stephen Marshall prayed large, 
two hours, most divinely confessing the sins of the members of the assembly in a wonderful, pathetic, and prudent way. Pathetic means with feeling. After Mr. Aerosmith preached an hour, then a psalm. After which Mr. Vines prayed nearly two hours. Mr. Palmer preached an hour. And Mr. Seaman prayed nearly two hours, then a psalm. Mr. Henderson then spoke of the evils of the time and how they were to be remedied. And Dr. Twist closed the service with a short prayer and blessing. Friends, these pastors would prepare their prayers as much as their sermons. Brothers and sisters, me giving attention and thought to what I will pray about before I begin in no way assures that I will be insincere in my prayers. The care we take in preparing to lead our congregation in prayer is meant to help us do this well. So for me, usually, now tomorrow, I assume Bobby's doing the pastoral prayer because he's preaching. Usually whichever elder is preaching does the pastoral prayer. But normal Sundays at CHBC, when I'm preaching, I'll do the pastoral prayer. It will take me about 45 minutes on average on a Sunday morning to prepare that pastoral prayer. That's just what it takes me. Um, there are shorter spontaneous prayers, and there's, there's a whole different set of goods that come from spontaneous prayers. They're flexible. We can respond to something we've just heard about. We can pray for more different separate events or situations or people if we have prayers that are, are brief. So in our prayer meeting at our church on Sunday evenings, we have shorter prayers of intercession. They are not prepared ahead of time because the people that I ask to lead them in aren't given any advance notice. They just hear the person standing up and sharing and so I say, you know, Matt, will you get ready to pray for what Sarah's going to share here? And then Sarah will share, and then when we come to our prayer time, Matt will lead us in prayer for that. So people who might be reluctant to lead in prayer in the public form uh, from the front are much more willing to lead in a brief prayer from their seat. Uh, so I just let the member know that I'm calling on them before, or somebody else shares this request, allows them to, to note down the names. So it would be a little cruel if Russell is going to get up and ask for something in prayer, he shares, and when Russell is done, I say, hey, Zane, would you lead us in prayer for that? I mean, Zane could have been daydreaming. So it's, it's polite when Russell gets up and he's about to share for me to say, hey, Zane, would you lead us in prayer for Russell when we pray? That lets him know, hey, i got to pay attention right here. And <laughs> brothers and sisters, we are all like that. Come on, let's be honest. And so then, you, you know, Zane has time just to write down two or three things that Russell shares. So that when we pray, he's prepared. So that's just a little simple thing that I think really helps. And then we have these times, a time when we have these brief, direct prayers of petition to God. And I think the variety of people both sharing the requests and praying and the variety of matters prayed about and the brevity of the prayers helps us to cover a wide variety of things in a comparatively short half hour or so. So different kinds of prayers. That's just the point of this statement. And we could multiply different ways the prayers are different. Long and short, planned and spontaneous, each kind helps us in our local churches, I think. Okay, fifth statement. One of our longer prayers on Sunday morning is directed specifically toward praising God. Hallowed be thy name, we saw yesterday in the Lord's Prayer. Or if you consider Psalm 145. In it, David is specifically talking about God and extolling and commending him, reflecting on God's grace and mercy and goodness. So that would be an example of a prayer of praise, and it's good for us to hear such prayers, inspired prayers from Scripture or, or uninspired. 
because there is so much good to say about God. Friends, if we didn't have to get home, we could literally spend the rest of the time from now until the sun goes down, brothers and sisters standing up, limited, even we just limited to 30 seconds, each saying different good things about God. We could fill this day with that. Now, this week that's just passed, did you spend much time thinking about God? Did you recognize and praise Him as the one and only self-existing God? No one made Him. No one could because he was before everyone else. He alone is everywhere. He has all power and all authority. He is almighty God. He is the Lord most high. He is the sovereign Lord, the ancient of days, avenging and awesome and blessed and compassionate and gracious and eternal and faithful and holy. He is the creator and the forgiver. He is the God of comfort and of glory, of heaven and of earth, of justice and of love, of peace and of truth. Friends, I could just keep going on all day. This this is what God is like. And we can supplement praising God for His character, which is compassionate, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. We can supplement that to thanking Him specifically, not only for His character in Himself, but for what He has done for us supremely in saving us. Like we read in that prayer in Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Or if you go to that very famous prayer meeting in Acts 4, you know, when Peter is in prison and the people are praying for him, and then the Lord releases him, the point of the prayer seems to be the request. But most of the prayer in Acts 4, 29 and 30 is just stating truths about this God that they were making the request of. In Acts 4, verses 24 and 25, 26, 27, 28, they're all praise and thanks, acknowledging God in His goodness. You should look at that later, Acts 4, 24 to 29. So brothers and sisters, we should spend time thanking God regularly for all that He has done in saving us, in taking us who have been unfaithful to Him and being a faithful husband to us, in adopting us when we had impoverished ourselves and giving us His very self as our inheritance. We can thank Him for the judgment that He has rendered and that Christ has taken for us. We can thank Him for keeping us and ruling us. We can thank Him for the assurance that He gives us and the good work that He has begun in us and that it will be complete. We can thank Him for His kindness to us in His sovereignty, for the hope-giving prospect of heaven, for the comfort that we can take in His sovereignty over all kings and presidents and nations. We can thank Him for the gift of His Word and the light that He gives us through that to see Him through it. We can thank Him as the psalmist does in Psalm 119 for His law. And we think of how long Psalm 119 is, the longest psalm in the Bible. Tabidi preached an amazing sermon on Psalm 119 at our church. He read the whole psalm first. It took 15 minutes. Friends, that's the longest chapter in the Bible. How strange is it in any of our services to hear God praised for 15 minutes in a row? Brothers and sisters, it ought not be that way. God is worthy of praise. We should take time for just, you can change some things in your service. Give some time to actually praising God. We can thank Him for involving Himself with us and leading us and loving us. So in our services, let's just stare at God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Let's give time to enunciating the truth, to thanking Him for His loving kindness, His unchangeableness, His righteousness, His patience with us, His complete reliability. We never have to worry if He's not working right now or if He's going to be moody. I mean, He's God. Let's spend so much time in our public services in prayer that some people are bored talking to the God they only pretend to know. Don't let those people run your church. Those people who are bored talking to God should not be in leadership in your church. So let's praise Him as the living, good, never-changing God that He is. And let's give time in our public services to doing this in prayer. Sixth statement. One of our longer prayers on Sunday mornings is directed to leading us in confessing our sins to God. Again, just going back to the prayer that John took us to in Matthew 6 that the Lord taught us. Forgive us our debts. We see David praying like this in Psalm 32.5. We know we're commanded to confess our sins in James 5.16. In 1 John 1.9. Sometimes people wonder if confessing our sins is something we do only once when we begin our Christian life. And in one sense, it is. They're right. Certainly, we don't have to notice and confess every sin we commit in order to be saved by faith in Christ. You know, we have been born again, and when we have been born again, we are brought once and forever from spiritual death to spiritual life. We are adopted as God's children. We're united to Christ by faith. We are accepted in the beloved, and that is a once-for-all privilege of ours, and praise God that it is. But just as all of us who have truly repented of our sins and trusted in Christ keep on daily repenting and trusting as the very nature of our Christian lives, so true Christians continue to confess our sins to God. Confession is literally saying the same thing as. So when we confess our sins like we do in a prayer, we're publicly taking God's side against ourselves in His disputes with Him, with us. We are admitting that He is right and that we are wrong. And we want to say that publicly. So by doing that, we do so many good things. We continue to remind ourselves of our need for Christ. We make it clear to all present that we don't understand that we are the good people meeting here on Sunday morning. It's the good people in the town who've gotten together. This is the good people's meeting. We're here to preen and peacock around about our virtues. No, we're doing serious business with God and we are confessing our sins. So friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm a little surprised you're in a church-like building on a Saturday morning that's this beautiful, but you are very welcome here. And I want you to know that your conscience has been telling you the truth. Those things you've done are wrong. And it's not just because you've been socialized that way or if other people found out they would think that that's how God evaluates them. And he evaluates them even more seriously. But he has shown his love for all of us in Christ who will turn to him and trust in him. If you want to know more about what that can mean in your own life, talk to the person you came with. Talk to someone here in this room you know that's a Christian. Find out what it would mean for you to trust in Christ, to repent of your sins, to be forgiven, and find new life in him. Confess your sins to God and pray for forgiveness in Christ. The good news is you can have that forgiveness. You can be restored. You can sing with us and really mean it. Christ is mine forevermore. 
By confessing our sins seriously and publicly, we continue to exult in God's mercy. Do you know one of the stranger comments I've had from members of our church? When they've come back from vacation, let's say they've been gone a week or two, and they, I always stand at the door at the back afterwards for 30 minutes or an hour just, you know, until most of the people are gone. I mean, I'll, you know, from time to time have somebody come up from our church and just say, like, oh, I've been gone the last two weeks, and I can't tell you how good it was to be back here where I got to hear the gospel again. So many evangelical churches don't present the gospel clearly, or they think it's just for people to get converted with. And they don't understand the gospel is our mask to make it through this world. We need the gospel every Sunday. We need it every day. Not like you need to get saved again, but this is our hope. We need to be reminded of it again and again. Do you ever notice how moved you are when we sing that third line in It Is Well? I mean, I've never seen a congregation that's not moved. My sins, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It isn't an exercise in spiritually negativity and self-condemnation by regularly confessing our sins publicly. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves of God's mercy and to marvel afresh at His grace as we explore more and more the depth of our own sins and consider even more the extent of His forgiveness and mercy toward us. This is why it's a good thing that one of our public prayers is dedicated to confessing our sins. And let me be clear, I don't mean this as a sanctification prayer, because that kind of lets us off emotionally a little bit. Lord, uh, we struggle sometimes with telling the truth. Please forgive us. Help us get better about that. No, get rid of that. Help us get better. Do that in another prayer. I mean just put the heads underwater. Just confess sins. Now, what I'm saying right now is not in the Bible. This is Uncle Mark's prudence, you know, and, and a lot of Christians throughout history. I'm, I'm not alone in saying this is actually normal Christian stuff, but it's just been forgotten by modern American evangelicals. But if, if you will spend time just staring at your own sin and not alleviating it and slightly releasing the pressure by, Lord, help us to get better about this, Lord, uh, Lord change me. In this. That's a good prayer. That's another prayer. That's a prayer of intercession. I'll talk about that in a minute. I mean to have a separated off prayer of confession where you are just reminding yourself of this and this. Lord, we have done this. Lord, some of us this week have done this. Lord, too many of us have done this. And I mean the only request in the whole thing is at the end where you say something like, for this and our many other sins, forgive us for Christ's sake. Don't let the pressure off. Seventh statement. It's good to dedicate one of your prayers to asking God to help others and to help us as a church. Again, I just go back to the prayer that Jono brought to us from, from Matthew, the Lord's Prayer. You think what the Lord taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes this time will be taken by ordaining new pastors. So when we have new men uh, recognized as elders, we will spend that time listening to their vows being taken, the congregation taking vows with them. We will lay hands on them. We will pray for them. Um, but usually in our pastoral prayer, and that's usually our longest prayer of the morning prayers, uh, we give time to asking God to help us. And while the particulars vary from week to week, the basic categories are usually represented. We don't want to be the church that John Stott once described. He said, I remember some years ago visiting a church incognito. I sat in the back row. When we came to the pastoral prayer, it was led by a lay brother because the pastor was on holiday. 
So he prayed that the pastor might have a good holiday. Well, that's fine. Pastors should have good holidays. Second, he prayed for a lady member of the church who was about to give birth to a child that she might have a safe delivery, delivery, which is fine. Third, he prayed for another lady who was sick, and then it was over. That's all there was. It took 20 seconds. I said to myself, it's a village church, the village God. They have no interest in the world outside. There's no thinking about the poor, the oppressed, the refugees, the places of violence, world evangelization. So friends, how I try to begin my pastoral prayer, I begin thinking of those who are with us that morning who are in particular need. I don't usually name names, but I'll think of categories or who sense their need, and the two aren't always the same. I'll I'll lead us in prayer about matters that are brought up in the text that I'm going to be preaching from. We will usually pray together for those in positions of authority, maybe the president, maybe the mayor. We'll remember that Paul explained in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, I know some pastors have a different practice on this, but because we're in a democracy, uh, I have been asked before to let elected officials come up on the stage uh, and be there while I pray for them. Uh, We've even had them in my service, and I've had them requesting to do that, and I always tell them no, because we're in a democracy, and people vote, and that can look like an endorsement. So I think we fulfill 1 Timothy 2 not by having elected officials on stage and praying for them, I would discourage you from ever doing that in a democracy. I would encourage you for praying for them, certainly whether or not they're in the service, but just praying for them by name in obedience to what Paul said here. Paul never had the king in person at one of his church meetings. You know, Paul, Paul was praying, leading the people of God faithfully in praying. And that may sometimes be praying for the president, maybe officials in legislative or judicial branches, perhaps for us in the district government, for you in your state governments or your county governments or town or city other positions of responsibility. It could be non, non-political stuff. It could just be other kinds of influence in schools, in sports, in entertainment, in business. Uh, I then usually pray for our own congregation, for some categories of members, usually for some members by name. This often scares them. Uh, I don't let them know ahead of time. Uh, they'll see me at the door. They'll want to make sure nothing's wrong. <laughs> no, nothing's wrong. I just love you and was trying to pray for you. Um, I, I pray for other local churches. Uh, by name, and I love praying for churches of other denominations by name uh, that preach the gospel, because we are more concerned that the spiritually famished eat the true gospel than that they're fed it in our restaurant. So we're not about Capitol Hill Baptist Church. We're about the gospel in D.C., and our local congregation can grow or shrink. That really is a very little matter. We want to see the gospel preached in D.C., so I am tickled pink that there must be 20 or 30 more evangelical churches in D.C. now than there were when I started 25 years ago. That is wonderful, that are giving out good gospel food. We want people to hear and believe the good news, so we want to thank God for other churches that He has raised up to do that. Indeed, I would say that one of the great answers to prayer in our congregation that has been seen in the last decades is God's kindness in pouring out His answer to our prayers and raising up so many new and the recovery of so many older sister congregations who are now faithful and prospering. That's been one of the joys of my ministry. So I lead us in praying for those who've gone out from our church to preach the gospel. So we'll pray for Matt Diaz in Miami sometimes, uh, often for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. 
We pray for gospel work in a few other places around the world. So the thing that Danny led us in doing this morning, we'll do that for one or two or three other countries usually in our pastoral prayer. And then I'll usually come back to Christians here in America, normally conclude by praying for our own congregation. And often, though not always, I'm praying through the points of my sermon, though the members of my church never seem to notice that. In all of this, I'm asking for God's help, and we're showing publicly that we need Him. Because, brothers and sisters, every time we, we ask, we're showing that God's reliable. We're an advertisement for the Lord and His goodness. So, in order to reflect the nature of the work of the pastors in our church, the prayer is always done by one of our elders, and usually by the brother who's about to preach. Uh, eighth statement. Eighth statement. Prayer should not only characterize our public services, but also our elders' meetings, our staff meetings, our interactions. So I want a church where it's not unusual to hear people, uh, to hear that people are praying for you, or even to see two or three members sitting around in a pew after a service uh, praying, uh, perhaps arranging to meet to do that together during the week, like that email I got last week about the members meeting before work on Friday mornings. Normally in our elders' meetings, we have extended times of prayer for our congregation and for individual members of it. I can't tell you how many people in visiting uh, in a weekender have seen us do that and have been shocked. Uh, Isn't that one of the most basic things the elders of a church could do together? Pray for the members of our churches. So in our staff meetings, we begin with an extended time of prayer for our congregation and for individuals in it. When when questions come up, we pray. Uh, When we begin and end times together, we pray. So we want prayer to characterize our time together. Ninth, finally, as a congregation, We expect each other to regularly attend our gathering for prayer each Sunday evening. We expect each other to regularly attend our gatherings for prayer each Sunday evening. Um, We meet uh, to do the work of the Lord, and even the ones who can't come will benefit from the fact that we do meet. We help make the church a community together, and that's doing spiritual work for the Lord in many places as we pray for work in many places. Uh, one who left us a few years ago wondered aloud if many of the good things that have gone on at CHBC have been because so many people, hundreds and hundreds, gather every Sunday night to pray. But we've been exhorted not to leave off praying together. So we try to make this expectation clear in our times together, in our conversations, in our membership classes, in our membership interviews. We always ask the person, given where you live, are you going to be able to come back Sunday night? People are welcome to visit our morning service, they can visit our evening service, they can visit our Wednesday night Bible study, but we expect members to be joining together Sunday morning as we disciple each other in the Word and prayer, as we have our massive corporate quiet time together at the very beginning of each week that God gives us. But we also expect our members to come back together on Sunday evening to hear some of what God is doing in our members or, or others that we know and love and support and to pray for each other. We intend to disciple each other in prayer in both of these times. Now, somebody may object, hey, isn't this an extra-biblical expectation? To which I would respond, kind of. Yeah, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we read, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, in our congregation, we've decided that it builds us up to meet twice on the Lord's Day. And since we have the freedom to do that, we are choosing to do that. And we have so much to pray about. I mean, I, as the pastor, or whatever pastor is leading, will organize those who have matters they want to pray about. And we tend to say no to a lot of things just for the sake of time. 
Some things you can share with family or friends or members of a small group. Uh, we may have another pastor in the area come and share with us about how his congregation is doing. We try to limit those things that can be shared about, that we think about, uh, for things that we think are going to be particularly edifying uh, and appropriate for the church as a whole. So we always pray for the regular preaching of God's Word in our church, for upcoming elders' meetings. We would never want to take God's blessings for granted. We pray especially for sister congregations. That's why, you know, often, like some of the brothers who've preached here, like, like Thibiti, we will often pray for Anacostia River Church. We pray for our witness of unity and diversity, uh, that our community will act to demonstrate and display the gospel. We pray especially for evangelism and conversions for those who've been baptized in the morning service. So we had, two weeks ago, we had seven folks baptized in the morning service at the end. So the beginning of the prayer meeting in the evening, all seven of them come up and share one thing that they like us to be praying for them about in the coming weeks. We pray about relationships in our church, about transparency, about humility, about our spirituality. We pray for a servant attitude to mark our membership. We pray for our teenagers. We pray for a culture of discipling in our church or for our giving, for various mercy ministries we're involved in. We, we love hearing from and praying for our supported workers when they're back from overseas. We pray for special evangelistic events coming up, and we have so much to pray about. Uh, so I have this long list of like a, almost a two-page list of things we could pray about any Sunday evening. Now, most of that we won't pray about at any given time, but I will pick through that, and that list acts as the kind of things we're almost catechizing each other in the Christian life as we pray together. Now, of course, no individual Christian has to join our particular congregation. There are plenty of other churches in our area that are Bible-believing Christians that, can, that they can go and unite themselves to in order to obey God's Word. But we understand that we have the freedom to decide as a group that such an expectation of coming back on Sunday evening benefits all of us, and so we do. And I can only say, as the pastor of the church, and from all that I can tell, it is wonderfully edifying to our church's life together and for the members of it, even those who are providentially hindered from coming. And it's certainly beneficial for my own soul. I mean, how many Sunday evenings are marked by a special sense of God's presence as we sing His praises and testimonies of God's grace that are shared in news of a need or in God's provision of the answer or in hearing brothers and sisters pray uh, in the word from Scripture that's brought and the deep joy of the final song as we end the Lord's day together on the precipice of another week of life. So the expectation of the members' regular attendance at the prayer meeting of the church on the Lord's Day greatly contributes to the health of our local congregation. And I should just say, it, it is the envy of every pastor that goes out from us to pastor another church. They tell me that again and again, I want a prayer meeting like that. And brothers and sisters, I didn't have the wisdom to do this. What happened is, the congregation when I got there in 94 was so elderly that they still had the Sunday evening service. This was a traditional kind of Southern Baptist 20th century Sunday evening service. Now, I think it was near, a point, near pointless and a waste. So what I did, because they had like 130 people on Sunday morning and 15 on Sunday night, and it was, it was just a different everything from the morning, but like, like we needed to be there. So what I did, I just, I just grabbed the prayer meeting from Wednesday night, and I pulled it over to Sunday night. I replaced the Sunday evening meeting with the prayer meeting. Because Wednesday night, I don't really feel I can guilt anybody to be there. It's just another day of the week. But Sunday's the Lord's Day. So I felt I could use my pastoral like guilt and shame, you know. Like, well, it is the Lord's Day. I mean, what are you doing, mowing your lawn? I mean, come on back, you know, pray with us. So, uh, and Wednesday night's a Bible study that anybody's welcome to come to, but it's, it's no problem if they don't. So, Wednesday, Sunday nights have been very useful. So, let me just review the nine statements that I've given you. First of all, so you can make sure you got them in your notes if you're taking notes. 
our public prayer life together as a church should be an outgrowth of our personal prayers in private while apart. Second, some of our practices will vary over time. Third, some specific words, we and amen, can be especially helpful in leading our church well in prayer. Let's just practice the amen thing right now. So I, now I'm going to finish praying, and I finish praying in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Yeah, now you don't have to yell it, but I mean, <laughs> I, it's, it's great if you do. But I mean, if you'll just say it loudly enough that the people around you hear you, and the first few times you start doing it in church, it'll cause them to talk and think you're weird. But then I just want you to talk to them and help them see actually they're weird, and everybody in your church should be doing that. And get the pastor on board. Get him to talk about it from the front and explain it so that you can start being an amen church altogether. All right, that was amen. Well, that's another good way to use amen, which I love. Uh, So that third statement, some specific words, we and amen, can be especially helpful in leading our church well in prayer. Fourth statement, different kinds of public prayers, long and short, spontaneous and prepared, help us as a local church. Fifth statement, one of our longer prayers on Sunday morning is directed specifically toward praising God. Sixth statement, one of our longer prayers on Sunday morning is directed in leading us to confess our sins to God. Sixth statement, one of our longer prayers on Sunday morning, uh, no, that's, uh, that's the sixth statement, it's confessing. Seventh statement, it's good to dedicate one of our prayers to asking God's help, uh, to help others, to help us as a church. That's the pastoral prayer. Eighth statement, prayer should not only characterize our public services, but also our elders' meetings, our staff meetings, our interactions. Ninth and finally, as a congregation, we expect each other to regularly attend our gathering for prayer each Sunday evening. Old Testament scholar Alec Mateer, who died just a couple of years ago, has said that to abandon prayer is to embrace atheism. Friend, isn't that what too many churches have practically done today? How much time is spent in prayer in the average evangelical church service today? Yet do we consider how we are weakening ourselves and our witness when we do that? If we're not gathered explicitly around God, why are we gathering at all? One friend has called prayer reality attacks. Spending time together in prayer to God reminded the Christians in Acts 4 that God was sovereign and not the government that had imprisoned Peter. But God was above all government. The more Christianity is openly despised by the world around us, the more we need to pray together to remind us of what will be the reality on the last day. Do you all know the account of Moses Hall's prayer-fueled courage? Do you know the name Moses Hall? He was an African-Jamaican pastor in Jamaica in the early 1800s. There were some African Christians who were enslaved in Jamaica and were gathering regularly, as Christians do, to pray. Those prayer meetings were outlawed by their masters. One time, determined to put an end to the prayer meeting in Jamaica, Some slave owners broke up a prayer meeting being led by a slave named David, who was one of Moses Hall's assistants. So they seized David, who was leading the meeting, and right in front of everybody, they murdered him. They cut off his head. They placed it on a pole in the center of the village as a warning to the other people. They dragged Moses Hall, who was the pastor, up, And they showed him the head. And the leader of the murderers said, Now Moses Hall, whose head is that? He said, David's. 
He said, do you know why he's up there? He said, for praying, sir. No more of your prayer meetings, they said. If we catch you at it, we'll serve you as we serve David. So as the crowd watched, Moses Hall knelt down beside the pole and just said, let us pray. And the other African Christians, like Christians would do, just knelt. They gathered around and knelt with him as they prayed. And do you know what they prayed for? The salvation of the murderers. Friends, when we pray, we call on the God of the universe to help us glorify him. We remind ourselves of who it is that we should really fear and regard. And it's not these pathetic little pretend gods who can cut off a body's head. It's the true God of heaven and earth who made us and will judge us eternally. I pray that you understand more of how God can use the time of prayer in the church. Prayer gives us courage in ways I don't think we understand very well. It can be a quiet learning habit to rely on God. You might be teaching yourself courage for times you don't yet understand that are coming. You might be teaching your church something more important than you've realized. So brothers and sisters, pray. Moses Hall wasn't trumpeting his own courage. He was just openly displaying his utter reliance on God, who was entirely up to the task. Friends, when we spend time together in prayer, we put to death wrong, legalistic, moralistic ideas of Christianity. In advertising our own neediness, we separate the gospel from the kind of positive confession false teaching that's all too prevalent today. We lift up the God who has faithfully pursued us in amazing love in Christ, and we show that that God is our only hope in this world. Our prayers advertise our dependence upon God and the fact that God is dependable. And so all of our prayers, all of them, even our prayers of intercession, become praise to that God that He is able. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that in all of our churches we will completely rely on you as you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.